Alright, cool. Well, today we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 46. As we're going to do a study entitled, God's Flawless Future of Justice. And so, I was reading a story, or maybe you guys heard the news story, about Mackenzie Shrilla. Have you guys heard that story, Mackenzie Shrilla? She's a 19-year-old woman who was found guilty of murder... Uh, for purposely crashing her car into a a building, a brick building. Did you guys hear about that? So she had her, her, I think it was kind of like her ex-boyfriend with her and then his friend. And so they're driving and then they have footage of them just turning the the corner and then just going straight into a, a building. Some say 160 miles per hour. It was a Toyota Camry. And so, um... What ended up happening was she didn't die, but her boyfriend kind of guy died, and the one behind uh, him died. And so apparently they were having drama. There was a whole bunch of things leading up to it. She'd even threatened to do something like that. And so when they went to court, they found her, her guilty. And so this was back in July of 2022. So it was over a year ago. And so between July 2022 and and today, or whatever, um, there was a cry for justice. There was a cry for justice. Here's this girl, and at that time she was younger. I think she's, you know, uh, I sure she is, you know, driving them into the the building intending to kill them. It's just basically, it's, it's murder. Probably wanted to kill herself too. I mean, so there's a lot of things that are going on in that. But the family, having lost their beautiful sons and brothers and family, they were the whole time just crying out for for justice. And so the sentence did come down, and the judge gave her 15 years concurrent to life in prison. And so, you know, she she might be in there her whole life. Uh, She might get out. uh, The minimum will be 15 years. But at, at least there's something that, you know, has come down. And so when the sentence was given, let me ask you a question. Was that a a judgment or was that justice? It's a trick question (laughs) because it's both. It's kind of both, right? I mean, and and that's, you know, when we see all the wrongs that that are taking place in the world today, and how they're they're killing babies and how they're destroying families and how they're you know you know focusing and so many kids are being molested and some of them are sex slaves you know you see a lot of things going on you see the wars that you know some of these crazy things that are happening and you know all inside of us you know as we continue to see this throughout our life uh, the the cries get louder and louder justice Justice, Lord, when will these wrongs made be made right? And and when we cry out for justice, which is something that we should do as moral creatures created in the image of God, we're actually crying out for judgment. And that's what we begin to see now in the book of Jeremiah. He's going to uh, then you know look into nine different nations that are going to be judged. Today we're going to look at the judgment on Egypt and then the judgment on Philistia. And so I wanted to give you maybe a quick outline of what we're going to look at today. Number one, Roman numeral number one, we're going to see Egypt is judged. And we're going to see in two places, first in Carchemish, and then in the actual land of Egypt itself. 
And that's going to be in chapter 46, verses 1 through 26. And then we're going to see Israel preserved. And so even though the world will be judged, God's people will be preserved. And so that's a beautiful thing. We're going to see that today. And then in chapter 47, the nation of Philistia will be judged. Okay, so let's dive in here. Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah, the prophet against the nations. Now again, um, 46 through 51, we're going to read of the judgment of nine nations. Literally fulfilled in that day, we can look back in the history books and see that it came to pass, but also pointing to the fact that one day God will judge every nation in the world. So here's something that's interesting, just in case you didn't know. Every nation in the entire world will be judged right? Every nation. The only one that has a little asterisk next to it is the nation of Israel. There's a uniqueness about them. But every nation will be judged on earth. On earth. Not every person, though, will be judged on earth. Now, some people, they're going to live their lives and they're going to do their crazy things and they go, you know, they die and they got a whole bunch of money and they had fun and all that stuff. They don't experience any of that judgment on earth, but they will experience it in the afterlife. And so it's something to know. Every nation on earth will be judged. And so I don't know, Tuan, if you're hearing, um, are you guys hearing a feedback at all, little echo? So you might want to turn down the gain just a little bit so there's that little, I can hear that little ding. Can you guys hear that? <laughs> I don't know if it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Anyways, here, the word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah, the prophet against the nations. And so not only were these nations guilty of sin against God, but they were guilty of sin against God's people, we're going to see. And so they're going to pay the price. And so look at verse 2. It says, against Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And so now we see verse 2 identifies the nation. It's against Egypt. And this battle of Carchemish, how many of you guys have heard of that battle? I'm just curious. Um, it's a real famous battle. You can get a lot of information online about this battle. It took place, it says right here, in the fourth year of King Jehoiakim. So that was 605 BC, just in case you're wondering exactly when it was. Egypt was defeated, making Babylon the supreme national power of the day. And so nowadays, if you guys were to think of the world that we live in, I'm just curious, who is the world power nowadays? Who would you say is the world power? How many of these guys would say United States of America? Not all of you, huh? <laughs> so, you know, and it's kind of like, well, you got the United States of America, and then you've got like this crazy army in China, huh? What's, well, I wonder what would happen if, they fought or whatever. You know, you're thinking about Russia. You're thinking about these nations. And so there was a time really where it was more concrete and clear. And, you know, you had the Assyrian army. They were on top. They, were, they dominated the world. But then God brought them down. And then God raised up Babylon. And Babylon here is going to be used by God to judge uh, the, the nations. And so we have a, a little map I want to show you regarding the Battle of Carchemish. And so I don't know if you guys can see it right there on the north, but it's way up there. 
So Babylon is, is on this area uh, of the map. And we'll show you another map later that actually uh, ex- exposes it. But they traveled all the way up there. Now Egypt is way down there. You see it? And so they traveled up here probably like 700 miles to fight. And they met. If you look at the Euphrates River, they met towards the end right there of the Euphrates River. And there in Carchemish, it was like, I don't know, I I hate to say stuff like this, but I'm just saying like United States of America and China, you know, were meeting to fight. And then, boom, one just, one wins the war. Now, and now we know who the world power is. The power now is, is Babylon. And, and so God is warning Egypt, and he's warning the world. And he's just saying, I, I love you, I died for you, but you have to understand that justice one day will be executed. And in this case, we see it's, it's judgment. And so here God says to them uh, against Egypt concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, by the river there, Euphrates, in Carchemish, the fourth year of Jehoiakim. In verse 3, Jeremiah then goes on to describe how the Egyptians were going into the battle, and they're really confident about that. They, th- they thought they were going to win. Look what it says in verse 3. Order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses. Mount up your horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets. Polish the spears. Put on the armor. You know, he's just kind of saying, you guys are getting ready for war. The large shields, the small shields, the finest horses, man, they came from Egypt, right? And those horses, they were prepared for battle. And so you think of the riders, think of the cavalry, think of the chariots that are involved. And they thought whether their heads were protected with those helmets and their spears, they're sharpened and they're polished and their armor is on. They thought it's all good. You know, and then, you know, not to sound weird or anything, but some of these people in the world doing the crazy things that they're doing, you know, I mean, they think, I'm good. I got whatever, my helmet on. I got my horse. I got my money, whatever it might be. But listen, buddy, one day, Mr. President, or whoever it is, you will stand before God and you will give an account that you did not lead in a godly way. You know, and there you are, you treat, you treat them that way, and you're lying there, and you're sleeping over there, and all the different things that people do, and they think they get away with it, and God says, no, you know, you're so confident, and you think you're going to be okay, one day you're going to stand before the holy God, and there's going to be justice, and there's going to be judgment. So in me, it strikes a healthy fear. I pray that we would learn from these things. This Egypt is going into it, they're powerful, they think they're fine. But Jeremiah envisions something different. Look what it says in verse 5. Why, why have I seen them dismayed and turned back? Their, their mighty ones are beaten down. They have speedily fled and did not look back, for fear was all around, says the Lord. Do not let the swift flee away, nor the mighty men escape. They will stumble and fall towards the north by the river Euphrates. And so they're going into it. They're very confident. They're very cocky. They think they're good. And Jeremiah says, why, why is it that I see them all running away? And they're running, and they're not even looking back because they are, they are just so afraid. He sees them retreat, and they don't even risk slowing down by looking back. They're defeated, dismayed, meaning they're afraid of their, for their lives. And, and this once mighty army is running away from the Babylonians. 
It's much different than they thought. Look at verse 7. It says, Who is this coming up like a flood, whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers. And, and he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. You know, and, and, and I, I know you guys, we live in a great country, right? We do, but uh, maybe we need to be humbled. Maybe we think that we're all that. Maybe we think that we can go and do these things and maybe, maybe God's going to deal with us like that. All I know is that Egypt was rising up like a flood and that was kind of comparing to the way the Nile River would oftentimes overflow its banks and basically go into areas that they didn't belong. That's what Egypt was doing right here. This is the picture that we see right here. And, and, and God, it's as if Jeremiah is comparing them to the Nile River and, and Egypt here is trying to do the same thing. We, you guys saw how far they went. I mean, we're talking like 700 miles. And they said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dominate the world. But God says, no, I have different plans. Verse 9, come up, O horses, and rage, O chariots, and let the mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans who handle the shield, and the Lydians who handle and bend the bow. And so you got guys now with bows and arrows, right? And so it's not just the Egyptians. Apparently, they've hired mercenaries, more men, more horses, more chariots, more shields, more arrows, more weapons. So for sure, we're going to win. That's what they're thinking, right? Egypt's army contained mercenary soldiers from present day southern Egypt, Sudan, northern Ethiopia, uh, from uh, these groups, uh, even Ezekiel mentioned the mercenaries in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 5. And so, you know, you look at it and you think, well, they sound rather formidable. But, but notice this. Who is on the other side? Look what we read here in verse 10. For this is the day of who? The Lord God of hosts. And I was thinking about today's Jane's birthday. I don't know if you guys knew that. She said she doesn't really want anything except for money. That's what she said for her <laughs> birthday. So anyways, thank you, Jane, for serving on your birthday. What a blessing you are. But I was, you know, you think about, you know, special days. You know, when's your birthday? How many of you guys, your birthday is tomorrow? Anyone here? <laughs> so there's special days. Well, one day, the day of the Lord will come, you guys. I mean... Inside, the way that we're wired, the way that God made us with his, uh, we're created in his image, there's something in us that, 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 that you know, desires and almost demands justice. Let's just say you're at McDonald's, you know, and you're ready, like, hey, I haven't had a quarter pounder in a while, okay? So you're there, and you're in line at McDonald's. You're not saved. You're not saved. You never read the Bible before. But let's just say someone, you're in line, comes and cuts in front of you. Let's just say they cut in front of you. Now, your parents didn't even have to teach you that was wrong. There's something inside that says, dude, <laughs> and you're not a Christian, so you might you know, do something like, what's up? But you know, there's this thing inside of us that's inherent that we, we desire justice. You know? and, and so you know, we were looking at all these things right here, and, and Egypt is going its way, and, and then they're 
you know, hurting God's people. God's people are trusting in them. We saw what they did to God's people when they were there in that, that oven, you know, when they were in slavery in Egypt. And so God is just saying, hey, now I have to clean house. The day will come. It's the day of justice. I was thinking about the people on death row. Now, some of those people, I don't know all of them. I heard there might be some that might actually be innocent on death row. Only God knows, right? But there are some where it's a slam dunk, clear, homeboy cut somebody up. They, they raped that girl and then they, you know, they sliced her throat and just different things like that. And, you're, and they're sitting in death row. They're, they're, alive, they're, they're allowed to live for another 40 years sometimes. I mean, it just depends on some of them. The average is 10 years in death row. But some of them have been in there for 40 years, depending on all the legal processes and things that are involved like that. And it, it, to me, I'm like, man, that doesn't make sense. The guy is so guilty. What he did was horrible. And so there's something inside of us that says, man, it's just not right. But for us, as we're looking around in the world, we just have to know that God's got this. Justice will be served one day and this is heavy what we read in verse 10 for this is the day of the lord god of hosts now just in case you're wondering what the word hosts means it's not a person who receives or entertains other people as guests okay that's not what this is this hebrew word right here it speaks of a massive army Uh, the the lord of hosts is in reference to the supreme commander over all the militia of heaven, all the holy angels at his disposal, ready to be dispatched to accomplish his purposes. The Lord of hosts is a phrase that occurs 279 times in the Old Testament and refers to all these spirits, God himself, angels organized as God's army, bidding his will as an invincible celestial army. Now, the Lord of hosts is a common phrase, but this one is stronger. It is the Lord God of hosts. And so just know this, that one day every nation, every nation will be dealt with in justice and judgment by God. And and we see that here in this example of uh, Egypt. Again, verse 10, for this is the the day of the the Lord God of hosts, a, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour. It, it shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. And so this is really, really heavy. You know, whenever you think, and I, and I hope you guys are not out there thinking, oh, Manny, just wants to judge people like he wants them to you know to be hurt or something i don't i don't as a matter of fact we try to do everything we can so that doesn't happen that you go to heaven right it's it's heavy but it's also holy it it really is this is judgment but it's also justice and we have to see it that way we read of it here happening to egypt but one day it'll happen to every nation You guys are blessed, huh, to live in the United States of America, right? How many of you here love your nation? Don't you love your nation? I mean, we love the Lord. We love this nation. God put us here. But I'll be the first to admit, we deserve judgment. 
And so I'm praying for revival. I'm also praying for the rapture. <laughs> I'm praying for justice, but I know what justice means, and that is judgment. Right here, God says something interesting that maybe we should just touch on real quick. Again, look at verse 10. For this is the day of the Lord, God of hosts, a day of vengeance. Vengeance. How many of you guys knew that vengeance belongs to the Lord? You guys know that, huh? We read that phrase for the first time in Deuteronomy 32:35, where it says, Vengeance is mine. It was in a song, actually, that Moses wrote. Later, Paul quotes it in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, I know it's, you know, in our hearts sometimes you guys are thinking, right? I don't get mad. I get even. We're like that. (laughs) But God says, no, let me deal with them. Whoever it is that's wronging you. You turn the other cheek. Whoever it is, you know, that the enemy is trying to get you to retaliate, don't. Hold your peace. Trust God. Justice will be served, right? I mean, when we think about this right here, I love the passage, same uh, passage in Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. I think uh, if you have that, like that, Understanding of heaven and hell, I think that can only happen if you know him. And that's what that, that passage there in Hebrews is so cool about. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. You know, we know holiness, we know grace, and we know that one day every wrong will be made right. Justice will be served. Nations will be judged. Leaders will be judged. And some of them who have hurt the children, according to Luke 17, the ones that have hurt the children, they'll receive a greater punishment. So this is life. You know, imagine you're there one day and your little boy comes up to your little girl and just slaps her across the face. Imagine, you guys have a kid do that I mean, in your family? I mean, if that happened, what would you do as a dad? What would you do as a mom? Oh, mijo, come over here. Let me give you some toast. Absolutely not. You get him over here and you take care of business right there. You can't leave any bruises or marks on their body, but you can make it sting, right? Of course we're going to do something about that. Now, if we would do that for our children, for something like that, imagine how much God will deal with the things that are going on. And so looking at this, there's no escape. Look at verse 11. Go up to Gilead and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain you will use many medicines. You shall not be cured. Uh, Gilead was known for their balms, oils, and ointments used to heal or soothe. But God is telling Egypt, but that's not going to bring healing. That won't help you in this day. Verse 12, the nations have heard of your shame and your cry has filled the land for the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They both have fallen together. You know, if you were to go over to, to London, you can go into the British Museum and they have their, their tablets. They're called the Babylonian Chronicles. And there you would see a lot of these things that we're reading about right here. But it describes how when they defeated the Egyptians, 
how they ran, how the Egyptians ran, and how they, I quote, I'll read it, I quote, overtook and defeated them so that not a single man escaped to his own country. That's how God defeated the Egyptians through the Babylonians, bringing the judgment of that nation. And that, to me, it sounds like a biblical thing, huh? Like not one man escaped. And that's really what we see in the scriptures. And so the first 12 right here, they have to deal with that battle of Karchemish that I, I showed you guys earlier where it took place. Um, and again, I don't want to sound weird. I hope you guys don't take this the wrong way. But, you know, we've been in wars, World War One, World War Two. They were not fought on American soil for the most part. You know, we had Pearl Harbor, but for the most part, you know, they were in other places. Just like what we read earlier, that war was over there in Karchemish. It wasn't in Egypt. But now the next one is going to take place in the land. It would be like someone coming to United States of America, and I'm going to throw out cities like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, you name it, you know, um, Miami. And so this is what happens now. First one is, is over there in 605. The next one now is going to be in Egypt, and it's going to be in 568. Jeremiah then prophesies about this time that Babylon would defeat Egypt. And so look what we read in verse 13. Now, the, the word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come and strike the land of Egypt. Declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdal, proclaim in Naf and Tafanis, say, Stand fast and prepare yourselves, for the sword devours all around you. Why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand because the Lord drove them away. So it's about, I don't know, right about 18 years later. And, you know, they had been defeated in Karshemish. Um, Babylon is now the primary power in the world. But Nebuchadnezzar, who at that time was a general of Babylon, uh, the leader in the army, his father died. So he goes back to Babylon. He secures the throne. And then he starts heading back, conquering, until he reaches Egypt once again. So now it's about 568 B.C., and this is where, where God is just saying, you know, uh, you didn't get right. I mean, I gave you a second chance, and you didn't get right. You know, the Egyptians, they were influenced by the Jews, and they could have accepted the Lord, but they didn't. And so now God is going to deal with them. Uh, verse 13, the word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, will come, strike the land, declare in Egypt, and proclaim in Migdal, Proclaim in Naf and Taphanes, say, Stand fast and prepare yourselves, for the sword devours all around you. Why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand. Why? Because the Lord drove them away. The, the Babylonians would go on and conquer the Egyptians. They probably were prepared the best they could, but they would be devoured, as we read here, swept away. Verse 15, they ask the question, Why? Why were the Babylonians able to conquer Egypt? Was it because of their uh, awesome strategy? Was it because of their technology? Was it because of their numbers? Or they had the latest tanks or chariots or tools and training or length of the arrows or sharpness of their swords? Was that why? No, it was because the Lord 
chose Babylon. The Babylonians prevailed over Egypt because the Lord had determined it was the day of their judgment. We have a map here, and maybe you guys have seen it, uh, but just the extent of the Babylonian Empire when they did reach the pinnacle, and you'll notice that they conquered Egypt as well. And so this vast area, you know, some might say, well, the Assyrians were mean or the Babylonians were mean, but, but God would use them as his threshing instrument to perform his, his purposes. Verse 16 says, he made many fall. Yes, one fell upon another, and, and they said, Arise, let us go back to our own people and to the land of our nativity from the oppressing sword. They, they cried there, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is but a noise. He has passed by the appointed time. As I live, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely as Tabor is among the mountains and as Carmel by the sea, so he, in reference to Nebuchadnezzar, he shall come. And so here you have probably a mixture of mercenaries and Egyptians once again. And then everyone just, once the Babylonians came in, they wanted to go home, right? Arise, let us go back to our own people, to the land of our, our nativity. Um, in verse 17, it's interesting that they cried there, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is, is but a noise. And, and, and basically, more than likely what that means is that Pharaoh was saying, we're going to win. We're going to win this, you guys. We're good, you guys. And, and there might be some people, maybe you're going to meet them one day, and they're going to say, you don't, you don't need Jesus. You don't need to, to, to read your Bible. You don't need to pray. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to obey. And it's okay to, to have sex before you're married, you know, as, as long as you love each other. And, you know, just the, the, the lies that the world will offer you, your, your, your flesh will, will say. And, and right here, the Pharaoh is saying, oh, we're going to be good. We're going to win. And people, they believe those lies like there is no God, there is no life after death, there is no heaven, there is no hell. And when they die, man, they're going to find out that that was just a bunch of noise, that those were lies. These guys right here, as people are getting sliced right in front of them, as they're seeing this before their own eyes, they're, they're running out of there as fast as they can, and they're realizing that that that. That, that Pharaoh, that Egyptian Pharaoh guy was a liar. He's just a bunch of noise. I mean, I, I get so saddened today because if you go to the prestigious universities, to the Ivy League schools, they don't have faith. They don't believe in God. I remember the C.S. Lewis uh, uh, movie. You guys ever see Chronicles of Narnia? You guys remember that? I remember, I don't remember exactly how it went down, but basically, you know, the professor guy, as he's, you know, talking to the kids, and, you know, the, the, he's talking to the kids, and the kids are like, well, in our schools, they don't really talk, you know, about, you know, it's not about faith, you know, and the professor basically sends the message, like, what are they teaching them nowadays, you know? Or they're not teaching them faith. They're not teaching them about God. They're not teaching them about what's wrong, what's wrong and right, according to the scriptures? What are they teaching them? And that's the liar that this guy was. Verse 17, the, the Pharaoh, he's, just a, he's nothing but noise, right? As I live, God says in verse 18, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. And um, you know, later on, I can give you guys, if you're interested, afterwards, Tabor and uh, Carmel, how, how beautiful and big they are. But look at verse 19. It says, O oh, you, you daughter dwelling in Egypt, 
Prepare yourself to go into captivity. For Naf shall lie, shall be waste and desolate without inhabitant. Egypt is very uh, a very pretty heifer, but destruction comes. It comes from the north. Also, her missionaries are in her midst like fat bulls, for they also are turned back. They have fled away. They did not stand, for the day of their calamity had come upon them, the time of their punishment. And so right here, they're preparing for war. Next thing you know, Jeremiah says, prepare yourself for captivity. Now, some similes and metaphors are, are, are mingled in right here. You know, you guys, we're kind of going through this really fast. Man, I, I, you guys know how deep the Bible is. You can dive into all these verses and you're going to glean so much more. But there's four similes that I will mention right here. First, he called uh, Egypt right there uh, a pretty heifer, a very pretty heifer or young cow. And that is in reference to the fact that Egypt's gods, uh, one of their gods named Apis was a bull, this this cow. And, he, and he's saying, and, and this, if you read other versions like the NIV, it says that a, a gadfly was coming to bite and devour that cow. We're going to see that all their gods got defeated by God. Number two, the mercenaries themselves in verse 21 or compared, notice it says right there, um, to fat bulls. And what that's in reference to is they were just fattened up for the slaughter. Thirdly, uh, in verse 22, where we see this serpent that can only hiss as his surroundings are being chopped down. Look what it says. Her, her noise shall go like a serpent, for they shall march with an army, come against her with axes like those who chop wood. The Babylonians had axes. They were known for that. They shall cut down her forest, says the Lord though it cannot be searched because they are innumerable and more numerous than grasshoppers. And so fourthly, we see the Babylonian army so vast, they're like a swarm of locusts, too numerous to be counted. And so we read in verse 24, that the daughter of Egypt shall be ashamed. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, behold, I will bring Punishment on Ammon of No and Pharaoh and Egypt with their gods, notice, and their kings, Pharaoh and those who trust in him. Now, one of the interesting things, real quick, it says, and those who trust in him, there were some Jews who had gone to Egypt and they were trusting in Egypt. So God says, by the way, you're going to be judged with them. And so I, I do want to just lovingly warn you guys, encourage you guys, don't love the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be friends with the world. Don't be spotted by the world, lest you be judged with the world. This is what happened to some of the Jews. They also experienced the judgment of God. And so it's interesting here, the defeat of Egypt was the defeat of Egypt's gods by the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And so the Lord would bring punishment. Something interesting right here, it says, Behold, I will bring punishment, verse 25, on Ammon of No. Now, Ammon was one of the Egyptian gods. It was one of the top gods in Egypt, known as the, the god of the air, and over the centuries, it became 
um, the, the king of the deities. And so almost like they're king of kings, almost like they're god of gods. And then he became uh, nationally worshipped. And then they even added Ra to him. And so Amon Ra, that was like their top god. I think we have a picture here. Have you guys ever seen these? Uh, and you never knew. You always thought that that was just them drawing the Egyptians, right? And you're like walking like this and stuff. And so no, no, that right there, especially the one in the blue, that's their God. And he, they're right there where it says, no, it's actually Thebes. And so God said, I defeated their gods. Um, and it's interesting, earlier he calls uh, the Lord uh, the, the king of kings. And so whatever you do, don't trade in the living God, the living God for the gods that this world has to offer. Let me ask you a question. Can you serve God and mammon? You can't. But why is it that so many people, they're worshiping money, that's all that they're after? They've traded in their relationship with God for money. Oh, be so careful. Verse 26 says, And I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. But, notice God's grace, afterward it shall be inhabited as in the days of old, says the Lord. And so you look on a map today, is Egypt still there? They are, huh? And as a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 19, it says that there'll be many of them who will serve God. So we see, first of all, Egypt judge, first in Carchemish, then in Egypt itself, but God will spare them. Then secondly, we see Israel preserved. Look at verse 27. It says, but, but do not fear, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be at ease. I love that. No one shall make him afraid. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord. And why? And this is, he always gives us the same reason. For I am with you. Isn't that beautiful? For I will make a complete end of all the nations to which I've driven you, but I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will not leave you wholly unpunished. And so we could probably do a study just out of this section right here. It's so beautiful. As God's people, we will be disciplined. That's what he says there at the very end. We uh, will be, right? But we are not to be dismayed and not to be discouraged because we will not be destroyed. Israel would be scattered throughout the world, but they would be regathered to the land. And so I don't know. I hope that you guys are free from being afraid. You know, I really hope and pray that your only fear in life is the fear of the Lord. Are you afraid to die? You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be afraid to die. You shouldn't be afraid of of anything. Um, We read that over and over again because really I think at the end of the day, fear and faith are mutually exclusive. So God says, don't be afraid. Um, Even like, I don't know, sometimes I talk to people and maybe it's because I don't think as well as you do. Uh, Maybe you're more aware of what's going on, but I trip out on like um, the earthquake that took place. Was that Libya? Uh, And then Morocco, and then the floods. Where was the floods? 
Libya, that's where it was. I mean, we're talking about thousands of, you know, and then remember the, the, the pestilence? That, well, I don't know if you call it a pestilence, but that would happen right, not too long ago, COVID, all that kind of stuff. Did fear, did that, did that mess us up? I think it did. I think it messed us up, you know, because next thing you know, people are, are shaking in their boots and they've lost their ability to fellowship, you know, to get together. All I know is this. For me, when I'm reading this right here, I'm like, Lord, I'm not going to be afraid because of the fact that I know you're with me and I believe that faith is so huge. Israel would be scattered throughout the world, but they would be regathered to the land. And so God says, you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. Sometimes he seems silent, but he's never absent. We need to know that. The end of the world is coming. I think it, I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd say the end of the world is coming pretty soon. I don't know, though only the Lord knows it's going to be crazy style, but it's going to be perfect justice and judgment at the end of the world. And, but in the end, if you're a Christian, then you win. Isn't that cool? So real quick, chapter 47. A Philistia judge. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines before Pharaoh attacked Gaza. Now, the Egyptians represented the world in, in one sense, you know. Uh, and the Philistines, they seem to represent like the, 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 the antagonist of God's people. I mean, they were just like the constant and continual enemy of Israel and you know when you read their history Israel's history you found that the only one that was able to subdue the Philistines was was David huh Solomon enjoyed some of that but it was David who conquered this enemy and our David is who Jesus Jesus and so here we see the Philistines were the seafaring people who lived along Israel's coast and they would always try to push in land when they were strong. I think we have a couple of maps of the Philistia, just in case you guys didn't know where it is. So here's more of a, a bigger map. You see Israel, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. See Philistia right there on the Mediterranean Sea, right there on the west coast. And so today it's kind of known as the West Bank. That's where, where it's at. And so um, here you have a bigger picture, a little bit more honed in. And there you see some of the cities in the Phil in Philistia. And you'll see as you look at all the different cities that are mentioned in Egypt and Philistia that God is not just saying, I'm conquering the northern part. He's, he's, he's conquering the entire nation. Verse 2, it says, Thus says the Lord, God bless you, Behold, waters rise out of the north and shall be an overflowing flood. They shall overflow the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell within then the men shall cry, and all the inhabitants of the land shall wail. And this is in reference to the Babylonian invasion of Philistia. Verse 3, it says, At the noise of the stamping hooves of his strong horses, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of his wheels. And this is horrible. Notice what it says. The fathers will not look back for their children lacking courage. Isn't that horrible? You know, you got your kids right here and the Babylonians is going to be so horrible that they're running away and not even concerned with their kids. They don't have that courage. That's how bad it would be that God is going to deal with the Egyptians. God is going to deal with the Philistia, Philistia, the Philistines. God is going to deal with the world. 
And to me, I think it's important to have that understand because of the day, verse 4, that comes to plunder all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper who remains, for the Lord shall plunder the Philistines, the remnant of the country of Kaftor. And so if you were to look at that map again, you would see the Philistines are right here on the west coast and Tyre and Sidon are just a little higher they obviously came to help the Philistines as mercenaries. Uh, that place right there where it's called Kaftor is the island of Crete. That's actually where the Philistines came from. And so, God, again, just simple thing. Um, yeah, justice. It's coming. Judgment. It's coming. Verse 5 is a, is a really good verse. Well, I shouldn't say this. It's an Almani verse because look at that word right there, baldness. <laughs> Baldness, the balons. One time we were having uh, somebody came in for a marriage fellowship, and there was like four of us that were bald, and they're like, "Hey, do you have to be bald to come to Almani?" <laughs> I'm like, "No." But right here it says, "Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon is cut off with the remnant of their valley. How long will you cut yourself?" And the the baldness back then was a sign of mourning. And so, if something crazy is happening, people are dying. You'd be shaving your own head, or if they shaved your head, right? And so, this is what he's saying right here. But it's interesting to me. He's, you know, is there mourning? Verse five. It says, "How long will you cut yourself?" Verse 6, oh, you sword of the Lord, how long until you are quiet? Put yourself back into your scabbard. Rest and be still. How can it be quiet, seeing the Lord has given it a charge against Ashkelon and against the seashore, and there he has appointed it? You know, and, and real quick, like, how long uh, will you judge? Or how long, you know, are you going to do this to yourself? I think sometimes I get this question, like, Lord, how long will this world be doing, like, the crazy, evil, torturous things that they're doing? I always feel like, Lord, how long? Like the the saints or the tribulation saints in the book of Revelation. I know, but whatever you do, don't be discouraged. Uh, Don't um, lose heart. Because God... He's never late. He's never early either. Some of you guys, how many of you guys here, you're, you're always early? There's a few of you who are always early. How many of you guys are always late? Come on, you guys are Mexican. You guys are Hispanics, man. Pretty much all of you should be raising your hand, right? God is never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. I do believe he's coming soon. I don't know for sure, because only the Lord knows the day or the hour. But if he is coming soon, what should that do to us? It should create more of an urgency for us to be on fire for the Lord and also for us to, to reach out to those who don't know him. You know, we ask the Lord, how long? How long, Lord? How long? And maybe he's asking you, how long? How long are you going to, you know, one foot in, one foot out. How long are you going to be sitting on the bench? How long? Until you start reading. Until you start seeking God. Maybe he'll ask you the same question, me, the same question. My prayer is that today, if there's areas of our life that we need to surrender to him, you, we can do that. We can do that with the Lord. We can do that. And so that, you know, when God tells me, Manny, how long? 
I'd be like, okay, Lord, this moment right here, I'm all in. I give you my heart. That's what I want to do.